So I think you just simply have to take advantage of all the tools, whether it be in a virtual environment or in a back to work environment, if you want to think about it in those terms. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin, the CEO of the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we'll discuss the five-point leadership framework for senior executives, spotlighting opportunities for allyship and sponsorship within that framework. Joining me today is Jack Stahl. Jack is the former CEO and president of Revlon, former president and COO of the Coca-Cola Company. And currently, Jack serves on several boards and is the co-founder of CNEXT, a venture dedicated to leaders advancing leaders. Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, Jack, you started CNEXT. Maybe you could start by just sharing with our listeners, what is CNEXT and why did you start it? Yeah, I, I spent a long time at Coca-Cola and then at Revlon, a very different situation. But the common theme for me was I thought the highest impact I could have as a senior leader was investing in our great talent at both companies. So I loved coaching and helping to develop people. Uh, after that journey, I said to myself, how do I do that at scale with more than one leader at a time? So I co-founded CNEX and we put on forums for very senior leaders where we put in front of them former CEOs who share actionable framework to get things done inside of their corporations to drive results to help develop talent and great teams. And these senior leaders who attend the programs learn from each other and from former subject matter experts. So we're helping to develop talent at scale in a peer network with CEOs sharing their learning to these members from various corporations. And that's what we love to do. Yeah, and this this whole subject of, of leadership development you know, if if you're not doing it every day, it seems like, well, don't they kind of learn that on the job? How come they don't know how to be, how do they get to be a leader without knowing how to be a leader? But but there is a lot to it in this day and age and, and everybody needs help and everybody needs coaching, right? Absolutely. I had some great coaches along the way and who in a very concise period of time could challenge my own thinking, work to understand what I was challenged by and then could offer their perspectives and frameworks that would help me get things done much more effectively and much more efficiently, whether it was at Coke or Revlon. So you're right. Everybody can draw upon support in one form or another. Yeah. And as you go up in an organization, there are you know, fewer and fewer people there that you can rely on peers to, you know, to help with that. So, um, you know, so these kinds of, uh, these kind of frameworks and, and, and programs really are important. Now, a lot of your work centers around what you've created here with the five-point leadership framework. Maybe you could just share with, um, with our listeners, what is that framework and, and why, did, you know, why did it come to, this, you know, to, to, to these five points? Yeah, my own experience in, in coaching senior leaders is that you know, being a CEO or even a senior leader inside a company is, is kind of like playing tennis against 10 people at once. Things are coming at you so fast and so furious 
So having a way to think about the work that you do can be very powerful so that you're focused in the right places and making conscious choices about your time and energy. So I, the way I like to think about it is the, the leader's role is founded in three things. One is to create clarity for the organization because clarity allows for greater and easier choices along the way, creating energy and developing a great team, and then finally delivering success. Uh, that is the role. So then the question becomes, what's the work that allows you to play that role? And I like to think of it as creating a picture of success and a clear strategy. Um, at Coke, we talked about creating a 360-degree Coca-Cola landscape. It was a picture of success. And our strategies of availability, affordability, and acceptability of Coke products globally fell out of that. And then we talk about relentless communication. The importance of the leader, the CEO, or the senior leader being the chief relationship officer. You have to get your team to relate to the strategy and to you as a senior leader. So relentless engagement becomes the second bucket of work. And then managing the external world. Most senior leaders have maybe five to six to seven major constituencies. As you become a CEO, maybe that number jumps to 15 or 20. And those external constituencies in today's day and age are all talking to each other. So that part of the work, managing the external world is critical. How do you set priorities? Where do you focus your time and energy? Becomes an important choice in and of itself. And then managing the work, you have to ensure execution. And I think the trick there for a senior leader is how do you do that at scale through your meeting routine so that you're ensuring execution with large numbers of people at once, not just one-on-one. -on -one. And how are you teaching and sharing and helping to develop people at scale in those larger meetings around key initiatives or around performance? So that fourth bucket of work is ensuring execution by managing the work. And finally, people development itself your role as a coach, your role as a role model in helping people develop, having coaching conversations late in the day where you're getting underneath people's challenges and helping them solve those challenges. So that is what I kind of frame up as the work of the leader, destination and creating a picture, relentless communication, managing the external world, ensuring execution, and then leading people development. That's how I frame up the work of a senior leader. Yeah, and that and that's really all encompassing. It seems simple when you say it in five little points, but uh, but but it is all consuming, and it's all interrelated. These aren't discrete points. Um, you've related them back and forth. But let's just kind of step through each one. You know, this I like how you've talked about this destination. You know, it's almost as if you go on a trip. You know, like a road trip where you're, you know, you're setting out and you're all in the car together and everybody's psyched up, and then you know, you, then you say, okay. Now, where are we going to go? <laughs> you know, you have to have that, that point. You can't just set off because uh, if you do, any road will get you there and you'll get nowhere, right? So the point is, and it has to be inspirational and aspirational and, and all of those things that we know as leaders are important to, to inspire people to, you know, to come on the trip with you. So this, that's pretty important, isn't it? It's really important. And what many leaders forget in that process. Yes, you can create that picture of success for the business. And I use the example of Coke's 360 degree landscape where our customers 
What did that look like for our customers with our products and brands and sales equipment? What did it look like for our share owners in terms of the size and scale of the company? But creating that picture. But what I think many leaders forget is how do you attach that view to the employees and their personal wins? And I like to call that the employee value proposition. How does that creating that picture of success relate to personal wins for your employees? It might be growth, career opportunity. It might be financial rewards. But if leaders don't make that connection, and I've, I've failed at this myself, then it becomes tough to get employees engaged around creating that picture of success over time. Really important part of the equation, Steve. Yeah, and and because they're one of the constituents that leaders need to you know need to deal with here. You know, one one of the greatest visions or expressions of a destination was you know what what's Robert Woodruff right at Coke. You know, Coke within arm's reach of desire, which sort of framed up everything that happened for the next fifty years in the company. And that was that was such a simple phrase, but it was so inspirational and aspirational, and and it really even though it sounds very broad, it actually focused the company, didn't it? So that's, it, it, I, I don't know if you agree, I, I, but that's that's such a great example in my mind. It is. And that's what, you know, that comes back to the leader's role of creating clarity. Um, we, we translated that into acceptability of products, affordability, and then that, that availability notion that connected to arm's reach of desire. But if it didn't connect to one of those elements of the strategy, then you had to question, do you spend time on it? Do you spend resources? And it was much easier to focus the organization when you had that kind of clarity, which as you say, Robert Woodruff built 100 years ago. You know, th this whole notion then of constituencies is important. And you talked about the, you know, the importance of defining the value proposition for employees, but but you know, as a leader, as a CEO, or as you know, in the C-suite, you've got a, a lot of competing notions. And uh, you, you know, when I went to business school, probably as you did, they uh, it was it was shareholder value, shareholder value, shareholder value. But and, and the assumption that you'd get there by taking care of all the other pieces. But I, I think today the the multiple constituencies are 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 more demanding than just shareholder primacy and and you know so it's customers it's employees it's owners it's community it's environment you know suppliers it goes on and on and on and and it's like an optimization equation isn't it where you have to you you, you can't just do one you you got to make it all work together you do and and that creates a great challenge for a senior leader or a CEO because they're sitting at the intersection of the company and the external world, which creates all of those pressures. So the, the question is, how do you then optimize it to your point? Uh, a couple of thoughts there. Uh, first, I think identifying who those key constituencies are, whether among your customer base, among regulators, and then having a routine where you as a senior leader are reaching out to them periodically. And, and why? Because if you can reach out and whether in person or over the phone, and if you can work to understand the key challenges of those constituencies and what stands in the way of their success, then you have the ability in terms of being a supplier or a partner of helping to solve those challenges with the resources of your company. Uh, a crazy example, I watched the CEO of Coke walk into a grocery store 
He asked the retailer what his biggest challenge was. The retailer said that his produce cabinets where he displayed fruits and vegetables rusted. Well, we sent him a 99 cent water filter to put on the end of his hose. So <laughs> when he washed down the cabinetry, it didn't rust. Six months later, that, that constituency, in this case, a customer, he sent us a note that said, you've solved my biggest challenge. I'm giving you six more feet of shelf space. And it started with a routine, understanding his challenges, and then you could solve it. I think that model works well with constituencies more generally where you can add real value. Well, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the notion of becoming the chief relationship officer or, or the, the term you used was relentless engagement it applies, of course, to internal communications and, and you know, that leading that, that, that development with your employees. But that is also true of all the constituencies, isn't it? I mean, what you've just described is relentless engagement with, with each one of those external and internal constituencies. Yes, absolutely. Working to understand their challenges, having some degree of empathy for those challenges, and then working to solve. It works internally when you are relentlessly engaging with your employees and your colleagues to the external environment. That I think that framework work, works really well. It works with a board, working to understand what your board needs and what are their business needs, what are their emotional needs, where is the board challenge to be supportive as a board member. And then helping to solve that. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, coming coming back around to your uh, employee value proposition, give us an example, um, if you can, about what does that mean? So that's, I mean, that's kind of a highfalutin um, term, but but what what you know what you're describing is something pretty simple, which is you know what's in it for them, right? But how do you? What's the best expression of that for employees? Yeah, I'll go back to. Uh, a Coke example. Uh, we were, our strategy, taking it all the way up to the highest level, our strategy called for us to strengthen our bottling system around the world, which meant we were going to buy and sell bottlers over the next 10 to 15 years. And that was an important part of the strategy to put bottler ownerships in very strong hands that could invest in selling and marketing Coke products day in and day out. We knew that if we embraced that strategy, which was going to take a lot of energy, a lot of capital, that that was going to create real opportunities for our people because we were going to have more structures, more subsidiaries. People could move between the Coca-Cola company and a bottling company that we might have acquired. As we built new brands, that was going to create more job opportunities inside the company for our team who helped to build those brands. And that was part of the employee value proposition, that that growth and being able for Coke to create new structures, new brands, new bottling opportunities, all was going to create career, career mobility for people. And we built that into our relentless communication strategy to describe how that strategy could benefit employees' growth over a longer period of time. We're discussing a five-point leadership strategy for senior executives. Uh, next, we'll come back and talk about how they can set strategy and amplify their communication. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. 
Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Jack Stahl, former president and COO of Coke and former CEO and president of Revlon. Okay, so Jack, you know, this whole this whole deal about communicating relentlessly, you know, that just sounds like, okay, so, you know, what's a leader supposed to do? Talk, 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 talk. Communication is more than that, isn't it? It is. And the way I like to frame that is A.G. Lafley and other CEOs that I've worked with through CNEXT said, you know, that trust, which is incredibly important for a senior leader, moves at the same speed and no faster as that executive's willingness to be vulnerable. So trust requires vulnerability. And one of the tools that I like to employ around that whole relentless communication, and this sometimes scares people when I say this, Steve, is I like to think mentally about the idea of having 100 one-on-one conversations per week with your employees and your colleagues. And that sounds amazingly intimidating, but it can be as brief as you're in the elevator, introducing yourself to a teammate, asking them for their name, what they do, what they're working on, and maybe their biggest challenge. And then you as a senior leader can listen to that. You might not solve it immediately, but you might be a resource to help solve it. It might be a need for better materials. It might be a a need for more resources, for more training. But having those one-on-one conversations you know, and you're being willing to share that what you're challenged on as a senior leader, it creates a relationship and it creates energy for your strategy getting executed. And that employee will probably tell a dozen others about that engagement. So that's one example of a tactic, having, you know, a hundred one-on-one 90-second conversations with people over the course of a week. But it does dimensionalize what relentless engagement looks like at one level. Yeah, now, you know, this whole notion of, you know, informal communication, you know, the elevator uh, interactions, as you as you referred to, worked really well in a in a hundred percent in office, you know, concrete world. We then went to, you know, through the pandemic where we were hundred percent virtual and that only worked for a while because of the goodwill and everything that was set up before that. Now we're back to a hybrid world in most cases, in many cases, and you, you hear leaders saying, oh, we, we were really missing, you know, that whole informal dimension. And I think they're talking about this kind of communication. It goes to mentoring, it goes to, you know, to, uh, to training, it goes to career development and all that. So how should leaders be thinking about, you know, all of that kinds of communication now in a virtual world? Yeah, the, the best CEOs that I've seen and senior leaders are taking advantage of these new tools. I've got folks that, that we work with at CNEX, for example, who have set up virtual lunch and learns that they weren't doing before. So once a week with 12 different people across cut of the organization, they're getting on, they spend a few minutes updating the organization on performance, key strategic initiatives and their progress. 
And then they turn it over to the dozen people in the room asking what they're seeing, what I as a leader might be missing. And they're using the tools that are available to them to create the kind of engagement that's important for success. So I think you just simply have to take advantage of all the tools, whether it be in a virtual environment or in a back to work environment, if you want to think about it in those terms. Yeah, but it also, you know, if you're thinking about a hybrid world where you're kind of, you know, you're doing a little bit of each, it it also means you really have to think about, you know, what work you do when you're virtual versus what work you do in the office. You know, because we're, we're hearing from various companies that people are going back to the office and then they're trying to put their heads down and work. And there's all this stuff going on around them and they're saying, oh, I'm interrupted and all that. But you almost have to say, OK, the time in the office, I'm going to spend doing what, you know, what, Jack, you were talking about, which is that that interaction. You've got to walk. Use that time to to do your informal interactions, your communications and so forth. Save your personal stuff for for when you are remote. And that goes all the way up and down the organization, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I think you're right. Defining the role of in-person time. I've heard it defined in three buckets. One is what you just described, those kind of one-on-one engagements. And then there's collective creativity, which argues for sitting down around a conference table and, and looking at the same whiteboards at the same time. And then apprenticing uh, folks that are new in their roles, particularly young folks that are new in their roles. Those seem like three buckets of work, those personal connections, collective creativity and apprenticeship type of communication, which I think benefits from face-to-face based on what, what I'm seeing. Well, and that's talent development, which is one of the largest needs of a company. And so therefore, and, and, you know, I, I think uh, most CEOs smile when, when asked, you know, what's, what do you spend the most of your time on? And it's almost invariably human capital, you know, CHROs think that they own it, but, but CEOs really own it and they own it up and down, you know, from, you know, from motivation to communication to development. And so this whole, this whole town, I mean, especially in a knowledge-based economy, I know we're still, you know, we still make stuff, but, but in a knowledge-based economy, your people are your assets. I mean, that's, that is your differentiation. Um, At Coke, it's a formula that's locked away somewhere in addition to that. But, but most, for most companies, it's strictly people. It's, it, you know, it's intellectual capital. And so therefore, this whole notion of talent development takes on a, a different level of meaning and, and importance to companies uh, in this day and age, doesn't it? It does. And I think, given what you just said, and given what you said earlier, that all these buckets of work from setting strategy to talent development, they do intersect. So if you're leading a, ma- a meeting on ensuring execution of a, of a major initiative, that's a chance for you to share your strategy. That's a chance for you to share with 15 people at once how you would approach a given problem or how you think about dealing with a customer or how you think about dealing with a supplier. All of that is talent development, which can be done in the context of managing execution routines. So all of these areas intersect with one another and and give you chances to develop people, help people learn from your experience, from your frameworks, from your approaches. Those things can happen in every element of your day, as I think you were suggesting earlier. Yeah. And so just in your mind now, so again, in the hybrid world, um, does talent development 
become something that is just this formal program, you know, with da 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 da, da or is is there still a lot of informality here? I think the in, the in, the informality is the willingness to have sit down discussions with your key people, either virtually or in person. And that's different than sitting down and asking someone to recite what they've been doing for the last week or the last month. It's more centered around, gee, what are you working on and what are your key challenges? And then having what if conversations. I mean, so many times I'd be working on negotiating a deal and I would sit down with my boss at the time and he would say, what's your biggest challenge? Well, I'm having trouble with this. Or my boss would say, I like what you're doing but you've got your foot on the gas in this negotiation at 100 miles an hour. What if you took it back to 60? Might you help shake the other side up a bit? So having those what-if conversations, which are informally based, and where you can learn from people with more experience, different frameworks, different approaches, in my mind, that's at the heart of talent development, beyond formal training, formal development plans. But having conversations about challenges when people are new in roles particularly is a key part of development in my mind. Well, you know, most CEOs today tell us that uh, skill shortage is, is you know, number one issue for them where, and, and that goes to the trades and, but it also goes to, you know, almost all areas of, uh, you know, of business today. And, and yet, and, and so when you, when you talk to them, okay, what are you doing about it? Well, we're recruiting outside, we're doing this and this. But interestingly, some of the best companies, some of the best CEOs say, I'm working it inside. The skills are here. They're just in various places. And so this whole notion of recruiting from within, moving talent across functions, trying to find the best fit for people and so forth. And then the processes around that, which is you got to start by asking them, what do you want to do? What, you know, what, what are your career goals? Because oftentimes that's where they're going to put their energy and 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 that's where brilliance comes from is you know you know what they want to do and a lot of times i don't know the numbers jack but it, it has got to be some something like a third of people who are who are not in the optimal position for them so that this whole notion of working within is really important today it, it is and I, and i'll give you one idea that relates to that challenge steve where i've operated and encouraged others is the idea of a career development committee. And, and that, that sounds bad, but it's actually quite impactful. And you take all the leaders of a given function or a business unit, you put them in a room once a quarter, and you, they, each of those senior leaders does two things. One, they talk about some of their talent that's ready to move, number one. And so if, it, if it's a finance function who's doing this, the treasurer is talking about a given person who could benefit from experience in controllership. So Susan's ready to move in 12 months. So the controller hears that. And then the treasurer describes what it is that Susan is, is best at today. And the controller hears that and says, yeah, I could imagine building on that in a controllership role. And then at the same time, um, and that process happens once a quarter where all the, all the leaders in a given function talk about their talent. And then each leader is required to talk about key open roles that are coming open. So they talk about the roles that are open. They've heard about the talent. And all of a sudden, you've got a talent exchange process that creates more visibility into who can do a different job and would benefit from a job rotation 
six months out or 12 months out. And all of a sudden, the organization feels more confident that they're going to be considered for cross-functional roles and rotation. So you've got people moving more readily. You create more conviction among employees that they, they have visibility because they're being talked about in this committee. It's a very powerful tool that I've seen work to create that kind of mobility. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, and you're just giving, you know, you're just giving one example of how to do it. There, there are multiple ways to do it, depending on what the corporate culture is. But the point is, the biggest point is that it's got to be deliberate and you really have to take into account, you know, that talent. And and these moves can be, you know, one way trips or they can be, you know, temporary, too, in order to develop people. Right. That's exactly. Exactly. Jack, just to wrap up, any final thoughts on uh, on your work in, in talent development? Yeah, um, maybe one thought about senior leaders that I've observed. Uh, there, is, there is so much talent out there. Oftentimes what we don't do as senior leaders is reflect on the approaches that have gotten us to where we are. And so, for example, if you've learned something about how to negotiate, or if you've learned something about how to have a performance management conversation with one of your one of your colleagues or if you've learned something about how to talk to a customer my example getting underneath their challenges in your own mind if you can reflect on those and codify those uh, you'll probably find that you might have 15 or 20 that are in your toolkit and i would just encourage as senior leaders throughout your routine whether it's setting strategy or ensuring execution, or in that relentless communication, share those frameworks and approaches because you can have a geometric impact on the people that you're talking to. It'll help them be more effective. It's an efficient way for them to learn. And they can then in turn go teach those frameworks to their own teams. And that begins to create a culture of development. So be reflective about what you know and how you did it and be willing to share would be my encouragement. Words of wisdom from a very successful, very famous CEO, Jack Stahl. Thanks for being with us today. Great to be with you, Steve. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, geopolitics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, with every developing leader that you know. I'm Steve Oblin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.